self-care. Soul care. Book care. It's time to celebrate life. Hello, good people. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Books and Bubbles. I'm Brianna. And I'm Brittany. Here at Books and Bubbles, we read and review books by black and brown authors. Um, and in the process of reviewing these wonderful books, we indulge in a little bubbly. All right. And our curators of our wine and bubbly are also black and brown. So here we are celebrating not only this month, Black History Month, but we are celebrating Yo. all year long the contributions of black and brown people to the written word. Yes, we are Black 365. Yes, 365 days a year. Okay. Y'all see Anita. Anita Baker got her uh, master's back? So go and stream some Anita Baker today because you are paying Anita this time. Yes. Yes, Anita. So we are back in the building it is February and we are excited. Um, so let's get into it. You know, every episode we do a self-care, soul care and book care tip. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start with those. But before we get into it, we are still partnering with Drizzly. Our Drizzly link will be in the description box. And Drizzly is a online service that will deliver wine, liquor and beer directly to your door. So going on, click our link. If you're a first-time user, you will get money off. And shop Drizzly and allow your liquor, beer, and wine to be delivered directly to your door. In under 60 minutes. Yes. Okay, so let's start with our self-care, soul care, and book care tips. So our self-care tip is going to be make a menu for the week. Mm. So if you are like me, Cooking's okay, but it's not that exciting. It's I don't know not. how many people find a lot of joy in cooking unless you're a chef. It's not my joy. Exactly. So a lot of times you do it to save money, obviously to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so cooking is kind of mandatory, even though it's not something that we really fully enjoy. So how can you help kind of mitigate some of the stress that comes with cooking? You can make a meal plan for the week. Might not always completely stick to it, but what I like to do is think about what I'm going to make that week by grocery specifically for the things that I've decided I'm going to cook and then go and do that. Brittany does meal prepping. Yes. If it does not happen on Sunday, it does not happen in my house. And that's just what it is. So on Sundays, I cook two or three meals for the week and that usually rides me out to about Thursday. So then I'm minimizing how much money I'm spending. Exactly. And so by pre-planning meals, you're also eliminating the impulse to eat poorly. So yes, Lord. junk food, fast food, um, cheap, quick to your door type stuff. So definitely try it out. Even if you're only going to do two or three meals that you're planning, um, try out something. Also, you don't have to make a meal plan for every day. Right. Why are you not eating leftovers for two or three days? So do like two good meals through mm-hmm. the week. Um, and eat on leftovers. And then if you choose to, you can eat out maybe one day on a weekend. So like a treat. Exactly. So try it out. Make a meal plan for the week. So what is our soul care tip? So soul care tip, we may have talked about it before, but I don't think it's ever been a soul care tip is, um, getting a therapist. Hmm. So Zencare, although not sponsored, but Zencare.com is a website where you can place your location, um, type of therapist you're looking for, whether it's individual, couple, something for your children, 
Um, and then you can also specify their identity. So whether you're more comfortable with a female or male, black, African-American, they also have Caucasian, they have Asian, Buddhist, Christian, LGBTQ. So the um, opportunity to specify what type of provider based on identity you can also do. And then you can also filter by cost. So if you are insured um, or if you're uninsured or if you're insured and your insurance plan may, may or may not cover um, mental health benefits, you can use that to determine how much you're willing to pay and then find somebody who's in your kind of range for your budget. So I really think it's super cool that they're able to kind of whittle down who you're looking for based on, you know, all those very specific things. So try out ZenCare, try out a therapist. Maybe you're only seeing them once a month or once every other month, something just kind of talk through some things with people. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean have to mean something's wrong. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong with self-improvement and therapy is really just a way to, um, improve it doesn't yeah. have to be like you had some traumatic it event well or whatever shakes, like. exactly so and there's always things that you know we can get better at dealing with different situations whatever so try out zen care i think Brittany has another website that you can try yes. as well so i want to shout out therapy for black girls and it helps break down the stigma of mental health and mental health issues and within our community and so on therapy for black girls you can literally google therapy for black girls they have like a search engine so you can find a therapist there's a podcast where you can listen to different you know episodes on health they have communities you can join you can join if you are a therapist to get in their network it's been featured on like old magazine and oprah so all these great things so therapy for black girls is also something really good because we know that culture does play into the way we see therapy um, and so if you're looking for a safe space for, you know, like people of color, that's a great place to start. It really is. And like Brianna said, therapy is not always something's wrong. It's just like when you go to the doctor, I hope listeners, good people, that the only time you're not going to the doctor is when you're sick. I hope that you have some type of, you know, physical or yearly update. Um, preventative care is really necessary. So once you start to see therapy as preventative care, it really becomes a game changer versus like now I'm in crisis and I have to unpack five years of my life how about you go every six months or once a year or quarterly mm -hmm. um it makes a big difference for sure so that is our soul care tip and our book care tip for this episode is going to be enjoy reading a book in a different place so maybe you're going to a park and laying out a blanket on a nice day and you're indulging in a book maybe you're at a local starbucks to kind of take in the environment while you read um train ride I don't know why you're getting on a train, but if you're on a train, <laughs> read a book. Yes, you might. We have some up north people. So maybe you live in D.C., New yeah, York, so Atlanta. Maybe it's like a public transportation thing or maybe you're just one. I saw this video where a lady got on like an Amtrak to go. I don't know where she went, but basically she sat in the car where she was able to kind of look out of the window um, and she thought it was like a super relaxing experience. She could have driven or she could have taken a plane where she went, but she thought the train ride um, the scenery was worth the, you know, the extra hours that went along with the yeah. train ride. If you got time, it's it's a very fun, cool experience. And it's way more lit room than a plane. Yes. So read a book somewhere different. Um, a little beach, a park. Beach, beach is great. On a boat, maybe. So there's so many places that you can Even read a book. a bookstore. 
is always kind of yeah, inspiring to me. a bookstore for sure. So read a book in a special different place than you normally do. And that is our book here tip. And those are our tips for this episode. If you follow us on our social media accounts, we both we have both an Instagram and a Facebook account. Mm-hmm. Um, those names will also be in the description box. And we do even more self-care, soul care and book care tips throughout the course of the month um, when you're not hearing them on this episode. So go ahead and do that. Follow us. And look out for all the great posts that we're making, not only about um, our upcoming events, but also great things just to kind of inspire you throughout the month. Yes. And this month we're going live actually next week on the 27th. Um, we'll be going live with a author. So Agnes K.E. She is a Nigerian um, British author. And we're excited to talk about her and our author series. We'll be allowing her to share the various books she's written. And we'll also be kind of focusing in on one book. I'm getting a little twisted romance type situation as we discuss some of her work. So we are excited. So definitely be on the lookout. Go to our Instagram, Facebook, and be ready to go live with us. Yes, we're going live. So this episode will be out early um, next week. Well, it's not really next week. It's like early this week. And like two so days. yeah, so basically, <laughs> it'll be in time for you to still join us for the live. So please, if you're listening to this episode prior to the 27th of February, Join us, join us, um, log in from your Instagram and indulge in some good conversation that we're Mm -hmm. planning to have with this author. So exciting. So one of our many events to come. Get ready. So without further ado, you already know what time it is. You already know what time it is. And like, you know, So this week we are drinking Charles Woodson, one of his intercept wines. A little Pinot Noir. Yes, his Pinot Noir. Um, we talked a little bit about it last week, but Charles Woodson is a previous NFL football player. Hall of Famer. Um, yes, Hall of Famer. And he has started a new venture in his retirement from the NFL. And he has made a line of wines that are very affordable and mm-hmm. um, are available at our Total Wine. So look and see if it's available in your area. Um, So we are doing the Intercept Pinot Noir. And... This is just a little quote from Mr. Woodson. He says, in wine and in football, if you want longevity, you must work hard. If you want to make a great wine that can stand the test of time, then you must put the time and work into it. Yes. So we've started. um, It's a Pinot Noir for sure. So it's strong. A little stronger. 15%. Yes. Yeah. You're going to feel this. But it's good. It's actually, you know, I'm not that much of a red drinker. So I was a little bit unsure whether if it would be a little bit too strong for me. But it actually has good flavor. Yeah. Very smooth. It's a nice Mm. Pinot Noir. It is very smooth. Um, Good. It's very good. 
especially for the price. It's actually very good. So definitely try out Intercept Wines. He also has a wine called Fumble. Um, it's a limited edition Fumble wine. So if you prefer the Fumble over the Intercept. Very football. Can you tell? <laughs> um, then go for it. But the Pinot Noir is good. And I'm not a red drinker. So I like it. Uh, let's see if he gives us some notes. So tasting notes. Oh, Prepare God. yourself. Uh, here she goes. Garnet in color with aromas of strawberry, pastry cream, and nutmeg. The wine is medium bodied with dusty fine grain tannins and a long, juicy finish. Enjoy with grilled salmon, braised duck, or stuffed portobello mushrooms. Thank you, Mr. Woodson, for giving us food notes as well. Mm. Everybody doesn't do that, and I really appreciate that. For everything but duck. Yes. Uh-uh. So grilled salmon, braised duck, or stuffed portobello mushrooms, that's like what do you amazing meals. Probably cheese or something. Blech. So that actually sounds really good, those options. So I might try this out with some grilled salmon um, at some point. So I really like this. This is very good. Try it out. They do ship as well. Mm-hmm. So there's... Certain states that they don't ship it to, but um, check out the website, um, cwinterceptwines.com. So definitely Mr. Woodson's done a great job with this. Good job. Good job, Mr. Woodson. Yes. Way to intercept post um, NFL career and Hall of Fame. I love when people have multiple careers. It makes me very excited. Exactly. Because... Who doesn't want to do more than one thing? Yeah. Why, why should my... We're all multifaceted. Right. So my whole life should stop at my late 30s. Exactly. That's crazy. So very good. So let's go ahead and get into it. If you remember, we were reading Red at the Bone by Jacqueline... Woodson. Woodson. So she's also a Woodson. I was like going to say that, but I was like, are they both Woodson? But Woodson's. they are. Let me find out y'all cousins. Thank you. They might be related. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a fairly short book, yeah, um, but has like really pages. great, yeah, has really great reviews great prior reviews. to us choosing this. Um, there was a lot of great buzz about the book, so it's deep, y'all. It's a little sad. Yeah, it's I think a, it's the saddest what we read yeah. so far because it left us very there nostalgic. wasn't a lot of happiness, but I think it was just very much a life story. It was a true life story, yeah. poetically written though. I forgot how well. I know Jacqueline Woodson is more of her like youth, like mm-hmm. younger audience books, but I forgot just how great of a writer she is. For sure. It's a really great read. Um, and I I mean, of course, we've all had traumatic histories as far as like, especially when you're thinking about like our grandparents and great grandparents and all they went through living in America. Um, and I don't think there was anything that was like especially sad in this book that wasn't typical of the normal story but i don't know for whatever reason there wasn't a lot of joy (laughs) that was discussed i i mean because it wasn't like oh my god this super crazy thing that it was like wow that happened to you i feel like the stories of the characters really could mimic people that you know yeah it was very grounded in memories yes and i think memories are always kind of bittersweet mm-hmm. um because let's be real <clears throat> the human mind always holds on to things that are a little more traumatic yeah. anyway than you like to see rolling through the park you try to have the fun times but darker things kind of hold true to your thoughts yeah for sure so it was definitely a good read 
Good read. Um, like Brittany said, the book is not structured how you would typically think. I think we've read, I can't think of the other book that we read that was really kind of back and forth. Gabrielle Union. Yeah, but this even more so because you heard different characters Each speaking chapter about their story. Each chapter literally somebody else talking. Exactly. So there was no one person telling a story. It was like, um, it kind of jumped back and forth. And uh, as a note, the audiobook actually has different voices or different mm-hmm. people for these different characters, which I think was a great idea. I don't know how. I'm sure Miss Woodson had some say in that, so I think it was a really great idea. Yeah, she's for actually that one of the uh, readers. Readers, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that was actually a really great um, idea for that to kind of be back and forth, just because I really feel like it puts you in the mind of the characters, and she really chose people that fitted that age. And um, as these people were talking, I'm like, you know, that could be Po Boy's voice, or mm-hmm. that could be um, Sabi's voice. So I think it was very um, nicely done. The audiobook, if you choose to do the audiobook as you're listening to this, yeah. So, so we're gonna get into it. Brittany's gonna kind of go down our list of characters, and then we're gonna talk about some themes through questions. Um, yep. and we're gonna dive in. Yes. So I guess we can start with Melody. Really, everyone's memory in the story is still Melody is really at the center mm-hmm. of the story. And even when we get various characters, they're all centered around Melody's entrance into the world. Mm-hmm. She has such an impact in this family. So Melody is a daughter of Iris and Aubrey. We kind of meet her when she's like at her coming of age cotillion exactly. type party. Very upper echelon. Says she has this white dress walking down the stairs. I was like, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> affluent black families yes um but the scandal is she's conceived when her parents are in high school literally they're 15 yeah a whole they're 15 they're children they're younger than her when they have her so the parents are really only like 31 when we meet them which yeah. is crazy so it's melody she's trying to figure her life out um like every teen aubrey the dad is her right hand she literally calls her mother iris um yeah iris kind of goes off and does her own thing and there's a tension in that relationship. So going into Iris, who is Melody's mother, she leaves to go to college to get away. She's accepted to several schools, um, but she chooses to go to Oberlin, which is in Ohio. And that becomes this whole thing. Iris initially kind of had to drop out of school. Mm-hmm. She went to Catholic school and they didn't, they weren't having the pregnancy. Yeah. And so it's really interesting. And it's Aubrey's mom that allows her to help her study to be able to get this high school diploma. Mm-hmm. Like my grandchild, mama not going to yeah, be a high school exactly. dropout. Then we meet Aubrey, Melody's father. Um, Aubrey's mother is very fair skinned. They call Aubrey's father blue black. And so he's this brown color. Oftentimes they do not think Aubrey and his mother, Kathy Marie are related. The mom, they're poor. The mom grew up in the foster system. Um, and so while Aubrey doesn't need to be in a foster system, you know, they definitely have food stamps, government assistance. He talks about how many times he done ate a mayonnaise sandwich. It, on a good morning, he wakes up to spam and eggs and he's like, oh, it's on today. He reminisces as a little kid opening the fridge back and forth, hoping that it's some new food in there. He talks about the roaches yeah. um, growing up. And so his first time of like stability is really when he meets Iris and her family and they wind up taking him in after his mom dies. So he is very interesting. Doesn't want to go to college, but graduated with honors from high school. Was very happy. Um, works in a mailroom. Then we have Malcolm, which is Melody's close friend. She thinks about, at first we think she's trying to be romantic with him. Then we learn that Malcolm is gay. So that's his own very interesting relationship dynamic. 
We have Po Boy, who um, Melody and Aubrey live with, who is Iris's father. He's an alpha. They make it very clear that they, you know, he went to Morehouse. Mm -hmm. So they definitely have this like generational collegiate family. Um, he's absolutely, um, I'm sorry, Po Boy is married to Sabi, Iris's mother. She's an AKA. She has big dreams for her daughter. She tells Melody, you better pledge. Um, Sabi is from Tulsa. So we learn about um, what her family is. We learn about the Tulsa massacre from her. Um, we talked about Kathy Marie and, you know, she kind of slept around for various reasons. And we finally meet Aubrey's dad. He's a jazz musician. And finally, one of our main characters is Jameson. We call her Jam. Mm -hmm. um, Iris's lover in college. She is a woman, black woman, which is really interesting. And it's the first time we ever see Iris in love. Mm -hmm. um, she's not in love with Aubrey or any guy previously. Um, so it's very interesting the way these stories intertwine. For sure. So a lot of um, interesting and kind of different characters. Um, so we'll get into some of the questions that are going to lead us into some of the themes that were discussed in the book. Um, so the first one says, in Red at the Bone, two families from different social classes are brought together by an unexpected pregnancy. How do you think the lives of the characters from each family might have been different if Melanie had Melody had never been conceived? Um, so that's like part one of the question. So for sure, if Melody hadn't been conceived, there would have been no long term thing with Aubrey mm -hmm. and Iris. Um, and no at no decision of Aubrey because he adored the ground she walked on. He loved much. her. It was low key sad. Yeah, it knew. was because I think he like Brittany said, he found stability in her and that he didn't have. Um, and so he really you know, the book talks about how when he hugged her or kissed her, it's like he fell into her and he really loved her. And so so connected. Yeah. And so Aubrey definitely, if if Iris had chosen to, would have been with her until he died. But, um, you know, now that we kind of know Iris and the free spirit that she was, that definitely wouldn't have been their story and there wouldn't mm -mm. have been a long term connection. Um, but in a way, maybe Aubrey's life would have been different because... Melody is what connected them. And I mm -hmm. think maybe had there been no Melody, he wouldn't have been with maybe the family. he would have done something different. I don't know. I think he probably might have went in the street life because we do see him being tempted by that. Like this, yeah. I remember the first time he sees like a super nice car in person, you know, it's the 80s. Crack epidemic has started. He talks mm -hmm. about like the neighborhood dope boy who's only a little bit older than him and is like, Arby, let me know what's up. I'll put you down. Mm -hmm. You know, and he kind of considers it and he's like, no, I'm not going to, you know, go that path. But I wonder if it wouldn't have been a pressure to be like a dad, to be a boyfriend, if it didn't be like, shoot, let me get this money this way and kind of be done with it. They struggled a lot. This is back in the day before food stamps was on the car and you were embarrassed a lot having yeah. to go to the store and, you know, it, it was a tough life. It was what he knew. So it wasn't like he was super embarrassed. But mm -hmm. as you start to see other people get money, I don't think Aubrey would have been that content, great dad. I I don't know what he would have been pushing for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so which characters gained or lost the most ultimately as a result of the unplanned child? Um, it's hard to say. I don't. In a way, I think Aubrey lost more because really? Iris decided that she... Although she sacrificed for a, a portion when she was pregnant, 
Um, the birth of Melody never really changed what she did. She still decided to do what she wanted to do and never really made a sacrificial decision for Melody like Aubrey did. But I don't know if I feel like Aubrey lost. I feel like he lost. He gained, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Through I her feel like, being there. Yeah, he lost Iris, but I don't know if he would have had her any longer. But not necessarily Iris. I, I, like we were kind of talking about, I, I don't know that, I mean, who knows what he would have done. With his life, had Melody not been born, it could have been that bad. It could have been better. But I do kind of feel like he sacrificed more out of him and Iris, though. No, he definitely sacrificed and like to wear a parent. But I think because he was able to have like a meaningful, deep relationship with his daughter to the end, like he could rest completely yeah. in that. So I don't know. I don't feel like he lost. I do wonder about the parents. I think they so they gained so much with Melody that they never expected. You know, when we get to Poe Boy's chapter and he's just talking about how much he loves her. I But when we go back to Iris being already like having sex at 13 mm-hmm. and having several partners before we even get to Aubrey. Aubrey at 15, I wonder what was, you know, their relationship like as a family so in the parents mind she was you know the girl going to the catholic school and it was promising yeah but to me it speaks to they were never authentically close anyway so i don't know how much was lost versus the perception of loss versus what was authentically lost with anybody yeah if anything i don't know in a weird way iris loses because i think she she lost a good opportunity in her needing to escape she lost our opportunity to be a better mom to have a longer connection with Aubrey she clearly feels bad once he's dead um yeah but I also feel like those are choices she made no it was all choice but I wonder if I think she kind of authentically lost the most by choice though yeah and then at the same time I thought maybe her relationship with with um Melody was because she had her so young but even as she gets older she just never really picks up the mothering feel. And so I don't know had she mm. had Melody at 15 or 25 or 35, would it have been any different? And the, I think the one beneficial part to having Melody so young was that her parents played such a big role. Yeah. Um, Because if it would have just been left to her and Aubrey, Aubrey would have stepped up, but it would have just not been great. Yeah. They would have been good and poor. I can't process it. Thank God for Po' Boy and Sabi, even though they had their issues. Because Sabi, Po' Sabi. Thank you. She just wanted a different. She was crying and beating on It was sad. It was sad. But also, yeah, teenage pregnancy is hard. Yeah. It's very hard. And they had to move. I was like, oh, baby, y'all was in one of those communities. Thank you. Y'all had to move because it got too dramatic. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. 15 is very young. It's like a ninth grader. It's so young. Mm. Like early... Like ninth, early tenth grade. Yeah, you're not even an upperclassman yet. Yeah, so it's I don't hard. even know if you can do driver's ed yet in school. I don't Probably know. not. I think it'll be sixteen. We also didn't have driver's ed at the high school. <laughs> went to, so I don't know. Um, the themes of mother and daughters is one that plays throughout the book, and we begin and end with the novel um, with Iris and Melody. How would you describe their relationship? So we kind of talked about it before. It wasn't great. Mm-mm. She um, literally started calling her Iris as a kid yeah. and nobody checks her because it's like... She's not... Yeah, she's not a mother. mother yeah, and she's either, like, so. she's smart enough to know what a mom is. And exactly. she's like, yeah, that's not what Iris is. Yeah. but I And literally Melody goes, but I don't know what she is. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't see her as like a, a sister or... Uh, like, I don't see her in, in any familiar role. She's like, is she good? 
Because what did she ask Sabi? Does she have enough where she is? Mm-hmm. So even as a kid, it's like Iris. Is like, I mean, I'm sorry. Melody is like, yeah, this lady who had me that I used to be obsessed with. I don't know. It's yeah, very it's interesting. Not. It is. And then Mel- um, Iris lies about her being her daughter in school, which I just thought was so bizarre. I'm just like, but she's your child. <laughs> who denies their child? It's like such a thing that we think about that men do and pretend they don't have children when they really do. And mm-hmm. it's just like, and then the fact that she did it for this relationship and it wasn't even like, it was just something that didn't have to be d- done. And I think she was like embarrassed and, but at that time she was in college. So it was like, yeah, you're young, but it's not like you're the 14 year old saying, yes, that's my little baby. It's like, you can own up to that, but she hid her to appease this girl that she was with, which was just horrible. So it's just not a great relationship, and mm-hmm. Iris is just not motherly, and Iris everybody is very, isn't. She's very interesting. I mean, even the the name Iris, right? It's like Egyptian mythology, mm-hmm. and you know, like this strong kind of warrior. So Iris is very interesting. Like you said, is she's not maternal. I think we often think women have to be maternal. That's like that stereotype. Just because you are born with a vagina does not mean you're gonna be a good mom. Yeah, I think about Iris is like. I don't know. And then even like this struggle she has with like sexuality is this whole thing. So I don't know. I find ours to be very intriguing in the sense of wanting more and that not being a bad thing, fighting for her kid. But then as soon as she's born, being like, what the F yeah. did I do? Um, And so she's just very interesting because even when she wants to be with Jameson, it's like, yeah, I'll do it, but I'm not gay. And as long as we can be in secret, I was like, well, how did you think that was going to roll out? Yeah. So I think it's even conflicting who she wants to be. Because then she talks about there are many people after Jameson. And I'm like, I want to are men. I want to are women. But clearly no one substantial. Exactly. So she was running from something and still her stability was Aubrey. Yeah. So I think that Melody obviously wasn't planned. But had Iris not had a baby that early and, you know, made that thought about and gone through life she wouldn't have made a choice to have a child i mean you can tell it just wasn't her she wasn't comfortable in that role um so i definitely think had she not had a baby so early and she was able to kind of grow and understand and experience herself she would have never made a choice to be a mother it it seems like she would have been sure enough to to make that choice because she obviously doesn't do it again after that um and then you know Mm, she's still kind of young because she's only 33 yeah 33 so she's, i mean yeah but yeah do we really think irish is gonna have another child? we don't but we don't even know because <laughs> then she kind of mentioned like who she even settled down with yeah so iris still hasn't figured herself out by yeah. the end of the book so i don't i don't think that she's really preparing herself to be a mother again. so do we think their relationship got better or maybe they just started to understand each other I think they're all that they have at the end. And so I think Melody had already kind of come. That was one thing that I felt like Melody never struggled with. At a certain age, she decided that Iris wasn't who she thought she was and she accepted her for who she was. And I don't feel like there was a lot of struggle with Melody, like feeling bad about the way Iris treated her or because she felt so much love from everyone else. Mm -hmm. So I do think at the end, they're kind of stuck with each other and it's more iris who needs to like come to grips with the relationship because i don't remember the dialogue at the end but it was something that 
Iris said to Melody, and Melody was like, "Well, it's always been like that." Yeah, Iris, I'm, yeah. She was like, "She was like, you know, we'll be good, right?" She was like, "I, I always been good, like exactly." So I do think it's more Iris who needs to kind of like come together. But there is, I think, the last line in the book is like, she looked at her and finally saw herself. Looked at Melanie. Iris looked at Melanie and finally saw herself. It's yeah, like kind of how the book ends. So I do think it's going to get better. Um, at this point, it's kind of forced. Arby's dead. Pole boy's dead. Sabi's dead. Um. And really, they truly only have each other. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it'll get better. I think it's getting better. I really think it's more on Iris's end than Melody's. I think she's accepted what is. Yeah. And in a way, maybe even her going to Oberlin is a connection to her mm-hmm. mom. Because Iris, I mean, I'm sorry, Melody is not dumb. I'm sure she could have went to many schools. She knows where her mother went. So I think there's still this connection to her mom mm-hmm. because she could have easily run from Oberlin. Um, so her even going to that school maybe speaks to a grown a budding or like this connection that's still been with Iris this whole time regardless. So exactly. Um so how similar do you think Iris and Melody are? Do you think they have they're similar or do you think they're really different? Hmm. So in some ways, I see similarities as far as, you know, they're going to the same school. Mm-hmm. They're not afraid to go away. They're intelligent. They're strong. Um, you know, you see even after Po Boy and Aubrey have passed on, you see Melody coming home like, Grandma, you've been sitting here all day, you know. Yeah. So she's not the one just like shaking in the corner. She's moved forward enough to go to school. So in ways, I see similarities. Um I see the differences as far as like sexuality and being afraid of that. Cause even, cause I was like, okay, first of all, Iris is off the chain. Remember she's like, you can't say sex. She's like, I can just don't want to say it right yeah. now. <laughs> and by, by the time Iris was Melody's age, she was wide open. She's like, girl, who is this girl that I know? Right. So in some ways, um, I think sexually she's not as secure Cause she even asked like Malcolm, like, is that ever going to happen for me? Like, yeah. you know, having this type of relationship. So she's clearly going to college more than likely a virgin and not having found that piece of herself. But then I think in a lot of ways, they're a little more similar. I think um, Melody's able to have a different relationship with her grandparents and maybe get to know them in a way her mother didn't. Cause you see when her mom goes to college, all of a sudden she wants to like connect herself to like her blackness and like yeah. talk about Tulsa and stuff where I think Melody was a little more aware. So in certain ways, Melody's more mature than Iris was. And in other ways, Iris was way more mm-hmm. mature. So some overlapping, but definitely still different. I think Melody has a lot of her dad too. Yeah. Which is good. Thank God. Yeah. Iris just don't bring that much positivity to the <laughs> table. Um, so considering the title and how it works with the story, why do you think the author chose it? So I read that question before we even started. And I, I'm not sure that I understand the title. Do you? Okay, so there's a quote. Let me see if I can find it. It's just, it's red at the bone. And I don't know what I was anticipating, you know, hearing that title. I had obviously read the synopsis, so I knew what to expect. But now finishing the book, I don't really know how much. um, I think if some, I don't know, if she explained it, I probably could tie it in. But just me reading this book and hearing the title, I'm not. It has something to do with like the pain I'm trying to see if I can find the exact quote. I literally was looking it up. As she's looking for this. Okay, go to the next one. Okay. <laughs> um. All right, so we'll just skip that question for now because the next part, it's a two-parter. So we'll go ahead and go into the 
Um, question about big historic events. So some of the big historic events that happened in the background of the narrative include the Tulsa massacre, the crack epidemic, and the attacks on the Twin Towers. How does the author use these events in the book and what do they provide to the structure of the story and timeline? Um, so to me, it just makes it more authentic and realistic um, to be able to connect the characters, the fictional characters that we're reading about to real world events, because I think that if nothing else, we have some type of emotional like connection, you know, maybe, you know, Tulsa was a while ago and there are not that many survivors from that now, even ancestrally. I don't personally know anybody who has a direct ancestor who was in Tulsa at the time of the massacre, but you know, we've all read stories, we've seen videos, we know, you know, this not happening that long ago, this is the 20s, that this event happened and these poor people were murdered and massacred. So I definitely feel like there was an emotional connection. I think that chapter where Sabi talks about the Tulsa massacre, even though she wasn't even there, she felt very connected. And I think it helps you kind of connect with the people and the story um, and kind of understand where some of the resilience in the family comes from. Um, so for sure, you know, the crack epidemic, I think we all still have people who are impacted by that, whether it's people who have become addicts and have, you know, passed on since then, you know, the incarceration that's happened around that. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a connection to the crack epidemic. Um, and then, you know, now here in 2022, we can all relate to 9-11. So I definitely feel like that was the one that um, I could relate to the most because I remember being alive then. And I remember when that happened and I was at an age where I was aware of what was going on. Um, and it was poor Aubrey. I was like, oh, Aubrey, he's Girl. the nicest man. I was like, there is no sweeter man Because I don't even think Aubrey really moves on emotionally past iris we she never hear about it because it also makes it kind of sad melody you want him to like win you're like win aubrey win yeah and maybe romance wasn't his win it was the child yeah and having he a really life really loved melody yeah and melody really loved him and because melody was like yeah dad but you yeah. know she would always try to hook him up different things like that but going back to the historical points i think so much of the stories about memories and sharing your story mm -hmm. remember how intentional sabi was like i'm gonna make sure my daughter does not forget what happened to my mother in tulsa mm -hmm. and then they re referenced back to the chicago massacre of 1919 and so you know even po boy because he has I think something with his eye he can't get drafted into the Vietnam War so like all these historical moments that connect I think like this black history tapestry mm -hmm. is something that that goes in it allows you as a reader to connect to the characters because they're real historical moments that I think become super powerful and this idea of like knowing remembering sharing um I think about like my own great grandma, like as far as like hiding money mm -hmm. in different places. And I had these gold bars and the trauma of being like, when you go to the bank and they're like, you don't have no money here. Mm -hmm. And you put all this money here. And like literally, you know, it happened to people during the Holocaust, like where literally everything can be taken from you. So I think the history makes you be able to connect to this story. And it's a very practical story. And that's why you can get emotional or sad. I'm like, oh shoot, I really was yeah. Melody's age when 9 11 hit. Cause she's like, 16 or so I was I remember being in 11th grade and being like what is happening can we go to war but New York was so far for us where 
her, you know, you see Iris running down the road mm-hmm. until the police stop her. Like, you can't go. And she's covered in dust and the ashes or whatever. So, like you said, I think the history makes the story alive. But I think it with this um, constant notion of memories and stories and hearing everybody's stories and how they got to the place they were, it just makes it super powerful. I do have a thing for the red bone thing. Okay, now. so let's rewind. To okay, so we're going back. So this is the quote. She felt red at the bone like there was something inside of her undone and bleeding. She wanted this thing with jam to last. So when we meet Iris for like the first time, kind of super in love is very Mm -hmm. different. And so when she's not able to be with jam, she really feels like like petrified of not being able to have her super bleeding and undone. I think going back to. When Melody is talking about being a black girl at the black table at a white school, I was like, oh, this is so dude, this is my life. And she talks about how they would eat the chicken at their hand, but the white kids would eat past that and they would eat down to the part that was red at the bone undone. So I think this idea of red to the bone has to do with the things that are left kind of bleeding and untold in our history. So like Sabi has a story um, and trauma is part of that. And Aubrey has a story and trauma is part of that. And Kathy Marie has a story that's trauma is part of that. And Po' Boy. And so all these places, even though they are kind of done on the outside, like chicken, mm-hmm. the trauma, I think, kind of allows them to still be red at the bone, undone, bleeding. These stories that everybody's telling in their head, but nobody's kind of saying out loud. So yeah. we get to know them, but each other don't really know these stories. So I think that becomes the undone and the unbleeding. So at the bone, they're still red because of what they've gone through. Mm. Yep. Well, that's that makes sense to me. <laughs> that that's actually good. So, very good, Miss Woodson. Um, so to go back to the kind of historic events outlined in the book, um, there was the point in the book where Iris says to Sabi that the Tulsa story is not her story. Can history truly belong to someone, and who is allowed to tell the story? So, you know, can you really tell the story of your great, great grandparents and what they've been through? I think this is some of the criticism that black Americans get. Can you truly tell a story that you weren't necessarily a part of, even though segregation and civil rights was like our parents generation? Um, A lot of that is still a part of the experiences we have. But can we can history belong to someone once that generation of people is no longer here? Is that a story that we're still allowed to tell? You you already know, I think. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because the reality is, even if we don't go through it, you go through it based off of the person who's been through it. Mm-hmm. And so your mother impacts you, your grandmother impacts your mother who then impacts you. And so the reality is who Sabi's mother was based off of that massacre impacted Sabi. Mm-hmm. And then who Sabi was as a mother to Iris impacts her. So even though Iris has not walked through the walk to say that she has no connection is kind of completely asinine because it shapes who the people who raise you are. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it's like somebody saying, you can't tell that story because like why learn history then at all? Mm-hmm. Because like we learn about revolutionary wars, civil wars. We learn about civil, like all these major movements. So what's the point of learning history if I can't tell a story because I wasn't there to me, that's like a crazy concept um, because there's so much of like your ancestral past that creates who you are. And history is way more of a circle than a mm-hmm. continual line. So I think it's so many things that are repeated. And so when you don't know it, you're more apt to like make those mistakes. How saving them are like, 
I'm never going to fully trust one place to have my money. So that might look yeah. very different now. But a lot of that is still like old school Bible, right? Proverbs, like you don't put all your money in one space. Like you have to spread your things out. What if this goes down? Whatever. So I think even the way we do things all connects to like past histories. And I think because especially black Americans, there's so much shame connected to Jim Crow and being enslaved that we don't tell our stories as much. And I think a lot of the trauma relates to like you can't fully heal if you don't know what you're Mm -hmm. healing from Mm -hmm. so even this story i think what makes it kind of sad when we really sit back these are these character stories we get to hear but it's not like they're sitting at the dinner table yeah and so they all have these memories and these stories and some things are passed on but a lot of things are kind of left hidden and broken and that red to the bone type situation happening where people don't fully know how the other person felt you know yeah exactly and so i think especially for that generation, there's just things that aren't discussed and traumas aren't as open as Mm-mm. I think they're becoming as we get older and we learn how holding those things in can affect us. And so those communications um, aren't really had with their children. And so I think it just encourages us to, and I think you can share those experiences without traumatizing your children. I think sometimes what we struggle with is like, well, how do I discuss it with my child without making them afraid or, um, forcing them to feel a way about something that they may not um, even have the same experiences that I did. But I think you can share those things without um, creating fear, but just more education um, and awareness. And I think those are things that you can continue to pass on. I know there's a lot of things that we didn't get to hear from my grandmother that would have been great to hear, but you know, there's just a lot that, you know, and I think that it was because of the trauma that they, I mean, can you imagine the things that they went through mm-hmm. being forced you know, into all types of um, injustice and um, violence. And so a lot of that is just things you don't want to bring up mentally. So, you know, it's it's understandable, but at the same time, definitely an opportunity for more education so you can pass those things on to your children. So, yeah. So yeah. I, I do like that Sabi does that, like, Sabi straight up, I'm, I won't step foot in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And even though Iris... It's not a really until later she starts to connect her mother's story and you see the blood and the what did they, the red and the gold from 9-11 mm-hmm. and from the fires of Tulsa that take something from them. Yeah. Um, that you see her kind of like making connections. But she's very much so aware that like Tulsa is not Oklahoma story. It's, they live in like two separate spaces. Because mm-hmm. I remember when I first heard about Tulsa, it was so tragic. I was like, this cannot be a true story. Mm-hmm. And I'm a black person. I'm just like... That ain't true. It's no way the government's that bad, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, riots and massacre. You know, these things happen, but literally, wait, y'all brought in planes and started bombing stuff. Like, what? Um, So to be that afraid, um, and that's one, I think, one thing Woodson brings up, like this idea of black wealth and how threatening it is to whiteness. Mm-hmm. And so you have this split of class where though there are those who were affluent and were moving up and still had a little more mobility even after Tulsa. But a lot of times black people were unable to move up and out and remained in these impoverished spaces because you was a threat. Like yeah. you was good little black boy until you tried to be able to make more than me mm-hmm. and you're able to go to college and you could be an accountant and then you could go to the city. And you know, a lot of times this intentional black poverty because of that. So that's one theme that, you know, arises definitely classism but forced classism yeah it's not that people didn't want to move up you know it's just like the idea of like your blackness hindered you mm-hmm. straight up and down for sure so any other last thoughts about the book anything you want to add uh let me think let me think um 
No, um, I think one thing we didn't really talk about was like religion and Catholicism pops up. Jam is raised by atheists, like professor parents, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Um, you see that Sabi has to like leave her neighborhood, but she definitely cusses out this good priest who puts his hand too far up Iris's oh, yeah. thigh and tries to, you know, tell her she is being damned or whatever and she has to step in. So I think religion plays an interesting role. Um, you see Melody at this Catholic school, but with these white kids that don't understand the black kids. Um, and it's just interesting to just, you know, I, I went to private schools growing up and that's how you often felt. So even like the concepts and the presentation of God were still traumatic to mm-hmm. people. Um, and so the most liberated people don't seem to be as bound by religion. So it's kind of like a background idea. But I think that's one thing that plays out here. And even this idea of they don't talk about it, but, you know, Malcolm's sexuality and then um, Irish sexuality and being like a good Catholic, I'm sure would have played into like who should get be because, you know, Iris is like, you know, we just can't tell nobody this. This couldn't work anyway. So. <laughs> So I don't know, but it, it was a good book full of memories, definitely yeah. emotionally connected. But when I say Jacqueline Woodson wrote an amazing story, it's a great story. But I think, as Brianna said, it's sad because it's so much authenticity in the mm-hmm. story. It's not like it's this foreign concept. It's like, dang, like this is people's lives. This is people. Which is why life. I choose to watch comedies. And because <laughs> I'm you just like, this old dramas <laughs> are way too much like real life. Like yeah. life is really that sad. Yeah. And you don't always get the prize at the end or it doesn't always end really well for you. And who knows what Aubrey could have been or what he would have done. I mean, he was taken by 9-11 in his 30s. So, you know, we don't know what his story would have ended as. But, you know, there were a lot of people who, who died in those buildings that day um, and on mm-hmm. those planes. So, very sad. And yeah. so I, I do like she ties that in. I think although our history as black Americans is sometimes so independent, it is also kind of tied into what the general history of America is. You know, there Very were black so. people in every space, the towers and, and on those planes as well. And so, you know, the one place Aubrey wanted to be is the one place that he felt content with is the place that he died. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but. Very much so like Tulsa. Yeah. You know, the mama in her salon. Her, exactly. Her two-year-old yeah. being burnt on the face for life. Mm-hmm. Um, so very much so like being taken in the places that you love and are happy in. Real yeah. deep. Real yeah. deep, Miss Woodson. You got us thinking hard. Exactly. But I liked it. It was a good book. I think it's worth a read. Yeah. It's not like terribly sad, but it definitely... Um, you know, is she doesn't try to sugarcoat it for you or try Mm-mm. to make you happy by including a happy time at the end. And it is just it is what it is. And so I definitely think it's worth the read. Um, I would say like a 4.2 out of 5. I think it's definitely a good read and not too long and um, is, is just right. And I, I do like how it kind of goes back and forth. It took me a minute to kind of like get into it when it went back and forth. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think the back and forth, especially on audiobook, hearing different voices was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, like Brianna, I probably give it like a four point three up to four point five. It just was, it was just very well written. Just mm-hmm. her descriptive writing and her poetic language, more so the writing style makes it absolutely amazing. Like we just said, I'm not as big into things that leave me sad and reflective yeah. when I'm done. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was a sad too. I was yeah, like, mm-hmm. child, had cancer. Like, Something about my dad and my begging, grandmother. I said, Jesus. okay, this too sad. So it got mm-hmm. a little real for me, and only because it puts me back in my own real life spaces or whatever. So 
But outside of that, it was, it was very well written. Um, it's actually recommended by a lot of the reviewers to read it in one sitting. Like if you can get you a good afternoon or evening where you don't have anything to do, to just sit and fully immerse yourself in the story. Because Audible's a little under four hours. Mm-hmm. And probably if you're reading it yourself, you could probably do it in three or so. Or even less, depending on how fast you read. Because mm-hmm. Audible is always a little slower because you're listening to something. Yeah. So good read. Check it out. Um. So for next month, oh, what are wow. we doing? <laughs> so <laughs> our wine is going to be by Earl Stevens, a.k.a. 40. Go Ooh. dumb, dumb. And it's gonna be it's gonna be the mango scotto. Mm, the he ghetto. has yeah he has a cup. <laughs> black, black y'all you. love a moscato. <laughs> so he actually has quite a few. The one I really wanted to do was he has a cotton candy moscato. Oh god! But I couldn't find that in our area. How sweet is that? I don't know. That's for children who need yeah. a drink. Mm-hmm. So the mango scotto they do have at the total wines in our area. So that's the one we're gonna do. Um, it's the mango scotto. It's a fruit wine. So we'll get into it next month. And um, I'm excited because I okay. like a little fruit. Oh, all right. And <laughs> <laughs> March is Women's History yeah. Month. So we're excited as well. So we will be reading I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown. Um, so let's go get into a little synopsis. Austin Channing Brown's first encounter with a... Racialized America came at age seven when she discovers her parents named her Austin to deceive future employers into thinking she was a white man. Growing up in a majority white schools, organizations and churches, Austin writes, I had to learn what it meant to love blackness, a journey that led to a lifetime spent navigating America's racial divide as a writer, speaker and expert who helps organizations practice genuine inclusion. So this sounds pretty good. Um, I also thought she was a woman. I mean, a man, not yeah. a white man, but a, a man. black man. Mm-hmm. So I'm shocked as well. So Austin Brown, her book has really great reviews on Goodreads. 4.39. Yeah, and you know Goodreads don't give you over three five. So <laughs> um, we're going to get into that next week. It's also a shorter book. Um, I yeah. think the audiobook is under four hours, three hours and change. So... Definitely something that we'll be doing. She has a website, so we'll get into a little bit about her. Austin Channing Brown is a media producer, author, and speaker, providing inspired leadership on racial justice in America. Mm. She's a New York Times and U.S. Today bestselling author of I'm Still Here, which we'll be reading, and the executive producer of The Next Question, a web series imaging how expansive racial justice can be. Her workshops are incisive, fun, and disarming and transformative. By using an intentional mix of humor, pop culture, storytelling, and audience management, she awakens people to the current realities of systemic racism and the everyday action which makes it possible. Whether she's being interviewed, lecturing, preaching, or leading a workshop, Austin is sure to evoke thought, feeling, and action as she celebrates blackness and the possibility of justice in our organizations, teams, and communities. So, yeah, we're excited to get into mm. that for next Come month. Come on, Miss Austin, a little Follow Women's her History Instagram. Month. Her Instagram is Austin Channing. Okay. Yeah. So that's what we'll be doing. So it's going to be an exciting March. Do not forget about our live that is happening this Sunday, February 27th at 4 p.m. 
If you have not already done so, please follow our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram. Yes. And use our link in the description box to order from Drizzly. Um, you should have done it for Valentine's Day, but if you missed it, there's always time for you to do that later. So we are excited about next month. Yeah, yeah. And if you have a toddler or infant, a little girl, a niece, um, a cousin, a goddaughter, please shop Kenny'sPlace.com, your home for affordable fashion. Anything from you? I think that's it. This was a great February. You know, Black History Month, we always try to get it again. Yay. Okay. So we are so excited for y'all to join our live. Y'all I'm a little nervous. Okay. I don't know if I do well on, on the spot <laughs> like that. Just get into the author. It'll be fine. Thank you. I'm going to let Brittany lead y'all because she had her <laughs> on the spot stuff. And then I'm just going to jump in. Yeah. So we're we're excited for Agnes K.E., um, so much of our audience has grown. We're just doing things international. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of our book choices, you know, impact your algorithms and stuff. And so Miss Agnes K.E. definitely reached out. Um, and I was like, hey, you want to do a live with us? Yeah. And so we're anticipating it. We're anticipating a very diverse audience. Shout out to all of our listeners, but especially shout out to our Nigerian listeners as well. Yes. Um, and so we're just excited. It's We're so excited. Yeah. So get into it. Please join in this Sunday. And y'all have a safe and happy remainder of February, which is literally going to be over in like a week. Um, And a March, a, a good March until we meet again. Until we I know meet And I regret it as soon as I said, I said, why did you say it? Why did you say it? May his peace be with you. Y'all don't know nothing about church. Thank How you. did have Barrett Saby and did the um the last rites for her? I say now this this a church fume oh, over yeah. her body. <laughs> I said, I come said, on, mm. Mm. y'all. Now yeah. Aubrey got buried with the family. That got too sad. They told me they Aubrey put the Saby where Aubrey and Pobo Thank was. You. I said, mm-hmm. you know that. Pobo just wanted to the body, or if they just bury him. In yeah, the what room. what did they bury? They probably didn't find the body. Who knows? Maybe they scooped up some ashes. You think they just sent ashes to everybody in nine eleven? How did that work? Did. I don't know what they did. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much fire there was, though. I wonder. How, I mean, at that point, they probably did recover bodies if they weren't burnt. You know what I mean? Once they got through all of the rubble and all that. I think some people they never found them. I mean, that's very possible. But also, they probably found people. Yeah. 9-11 was crazy. Yeah. Very sad. I, I, I still don't feel like we... Especially if you weren't directly connected to it, we don't even, as sad as it is, we don't fathom how sad it was. Yeah. You know when it got really weird and real? I have a student and her dad's first wife. So she's from New York and she's like, yeah, we always commemorate my dad's first wife died in the towers. I was like, oh. Yeah, very sad. So you don't exist without this. And there's still people dying from cancer from all of the- Now that's the crazy part. Like you went to go clean up and help and now you got full lung cancer. old buildings and that asbestos and all those chemicals that came down. Full lung cancer. You about to get taken out. So Mm. even some of the people who were just near it. Yeah. Just in the rubble because the dust sat all over Manhattan. Yep. Very sad. Those people are being tracked and a lot of them are just popping up with all types of stuff. So sad. Very. But on a lighter note, (laughs) have a great month. May God be with you. Good people is always a pleasure. Okay. I'll be with you. You can tell it's been COVID. We ain't been in the building. 
May God. Everybody put up your right hand of fellowship. I be with you. May okay. God. <laughs> <laughs> Is okay. this until we meet again? We back here? Yeah. All, All right. right. I'm glad we had the right hand of fellowship. All right. Good day.